Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week we take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years, and we learn about all the hockey news that was taking place during that time period 50 years ago. This week, we're looking at October 18th to October 24th, 1970. This podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive. Their support's been crucial to the research we do to bring you these news items every week and of course daily on our Twitter account. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company located in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario, just a few steps from the Welland Canal and Lake Erie. The folks at the Breakwall produce outstanding craft beers, and many of those beers are made from recipes that were used in the late 1800s in the first uh, breweries that were located in Port Colburn. Once things return to somewhat normal, I'd love to meet any of our listeners at the Breakwall in Port Colburn for a burger and a beer. At this time, we always like to remind our listeners about our Patreon account. It's something new we're doing. We're uh, allowing access uh, by way of subscription to special content episodes that we're producing a couple or three every month uh, where we delve a little more deeply into the hockey issues that were going on back then. Uh, we'll be talking about things like uh, how the media covered the death of Terry Sawchuk with uh, my own uh, unique perspective as a retired police detective. And we'll also have a, a lot of features on players that were popular back in that time period 50 years ago. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to get more information and to donate. And those that have already subscribed, we thank you so much for your support. Last week, we had a few interesting stories that we gave you. Uh, we found out that another veteran member of the Montreal Canadiens hung up his skates, called it quit. That was Ralph Backstrom. Uh, very under the radar type of guy. He wasn't a, a headliner from Montreal, but a very important cog to the Montreal machine in uh, the 60s and 70s. He retired and it seemed that coach Claude Ruel was the reason. Ruel seems to cause more problems than he solves. Although he looks to be a pretty good coach, he's very successful, at least the results are. But for some reason, Ralph Backstrom didn't like playing for Canadians anymore. And like his teammate John Ferguson the week before, he retired. Another uh, story we had last week, the four holdouts of the New York Rangers, Brad Park, Walt Kachuk, Jean Rattel, and Vic Hadfield. Finally, all four got under contract and got back to playing with the Rangers. And one of the other stories we brought you last week, we saw more ominous signs that it's going to be a lot more difficult for the new Red Wings coach, Ned Harkness, to make that Detroit franchise into a winner once again. Life in the NHL was proving to be no bed of roses for Cornell Ned. This week, uh, we're taking a look at some of the history of the uh, city of Buffalo as they welcomed the new National Hockey League Sabres. And we have a, a lot of neat stuff to uh, to go through. Some history of Memorial Auditorium and early professional hockey in the city of Buffalo. 
We have a little bit more news on the dysfunction around the Oakland Seals amid rumors that General Manager Frank Selke is going to be shown the door by owner Charles O. Finley. And we'll also get to know a player that Buffalo Sabres General Manager Punch Imlach says this week, 50 years ago, has the makings of another Davy Keon. High praise indeed. We'll tell you who that player is and you can determine for yourself whether he lived up to that hype. First up this week, uh, we'll give you uh, some of the game results of the more prominent games that took place in the previous seven days. There were some very interesting results and some very classic matchups that uh, kind of provided a little bit of a preview of what the 1970-71 season was going to be like. The first game of the week we want to look at was the New York Rangers-Montreal game at Madison Square Garden on Sunday evening. It was a classic matchup of two very evenly matched clubs, as it turned out, with the Rangers prevailing by a one nothing score. And uh, we get our information with files from Dana Mosley of the New York Daily News, Gerald Eskenazi of the New York Times, and the Montreal Gazette's Pat Curran. This this was one of those rare early season games that had all the ingredients, except for, according to the New York Daily News, high caliber officiating, but it had all the ingredients of what would normally be a classic Stanley Cup playoff battle. The Rangers edged the Canadians at the Garden, one nothing, and it was considered by a lot of people that early in the season as one of the classic games of the 70-71 year. Emil Francis, the general manager coach of the Rangers, he actually called it a classic after Walt Kachuk put it away with a power play goal early in the third period. The game, as a one nothing score would indicate, was a close affair with the teams alternately barreling and finessing their way past one another as they tried to get that first goal. Uh, they skated as though they were choreographed, according to Eskenazi, and the New Yorkers wound up with that win to extend their winning streak to three games. The goal was put in by the leader of the Bulldog line, Walter Kachuk, and that was early in the third period while Henry Richard, one of the symbols of an old dynasty of Montreal, sat in the Canadians' penalty box. The victory, which ended Canadians' winning streak at four games, was a virtually perfect lesson in hockey by both teams. While defensemen such as Tim Horton and Rod Sealing were protecting Ed Jockerman as though they were afraid he'd get his mask dirty, his new mask, by the way, the forwards helped with the checking, and they did just enough shooting to win the game. Eddie Jockerman was 100 bucks richer after the game as he turned in his second straight shutout Eddie gets $100 for every whitewash he hangs up on the opposition this year. Jackman was asked after the game if he thought that maybe Montreal's game, the team that missed the playoffs last year, had declined even more this year. And Eddie said, not. You still get up for the Montreal Canadiens, and they still look pretty good to me. Eddie still respects that Canadiens aura and mystique. Now, the goal came in the fourth minute of the third period during a penalty, as we mentioned, Henri Richard. Kachuk took a relay from veteran Tim Horton and let go a sizzling shot that forced Montreal goalie Rogi Vashon to make what was really a great save. But Kachuk 
ever ever uh, the mindful player very intelligent followed the play in like so many players don't these days and scored on his own rebound it was a different Montreal team that was on view for the first time this season for fans at Madison Square Garden. They used eight players who were not skating with the team at the beginning of last season. Now, perhaps they looked as good as they did because of some overdrive that new teams have for a while. Maybe uh, Claude Ruel is getting through to these Canadians players, or perhaps the Canadians are for real and they're ready to get back in the National Hockey League playoffs this season. Time will tell on that. But I'll tell you, everyone who reported on the game said they looked just as fast as ever in those big red jerseys, skating as though they were having fun again, something that you could tell they weren't having last year. As for the Rangers, somebody asked Kachuk, one of the reporters after the game, are the Rangers really this good the way they're playing? Kachuk answered, I don't think my line has gotten its timing down yet. He says it's going to take a while. Still, as Coach Emil Francis described the game, it was a classic for this stage of the season, probably for any stage of any season. In a Wednesday night contest in Montreal, geez, we've got the Canadians again in a highlight game, but uh, that's just the way it went this week. Uh, in the Wednesday game in Montreal, the Minnesota North Stars pulled off an early season shocker, upsetting the Canadians right in the form by a 3-1 count. And in this game, we don't think the Canadians look quite as good as they did against the Rangers. A brilliant goalkeeping by rookie goalie Gilles Gilbert sparked the North Stars to that 3-1 win. The North Stars won it on third period goals by Bill Goldsworthy and Danny Grant both off almost identical plays they were drop passes and the goals came only 41 seconds apart and until that point it was the work of the 21 year old rookie Gilbert which had the fans at the forum 15,425 of them buzzing. Jobert, who is a native of the tiny little hamlet of Saint-Esprit, Quebec, received a rousing ovation from what's usually a partisan Montreal crowd as he repeatedly picked off what appeared to be sure goals on shots fired by the Habs. He was at his best in the second period when he stopped 23 of Montreal's 47 shot total on the night. The only goal he allowed came in the first period, and that's when a rookie, another rookie, Canadian defenseman Guy Lapointe, scored on a howitzer from about 30 feet, and I doubt Joe Bear has seen it yet. Center Jude Druin, now he's a former Montreal property, never really got a chance to play full-time with the Habs. He was last season's Rookie of the Year in the American Hockey League with the Voyagers. He scored Minnesota's other goal in the second period. Now with Canadians holding a 1-0 lead at the four-minute mark of the second period, Jobert made perhaps what was his finest save of the night. It was a tremendous skate save off uh, Canadians defenseman veteran Jacques Laperriere. Gilbert then proceeded to take almost sure goals away from Jacques Lemaire and Peter Mahovlich as the Stars' Barry Gibbs, a uh, truculent defenseman that Minnesota is using more and more this season, he was off for slashing about a minute later. Midway through the uh, 
final period. He robbed Lemire twice, then LaPerriere again, and then Pete Mahovlich again to keep the North Stars uh, close in the game. Druin scored at 17.47 of the second period when he combined with another pair of ex-Canadians, Bobby Russo and Danny Grant, to beat Montreal goalie Phil Mir on Russo's rebound. Final score again at the Forum in Montreal on Wednesday night was the Minnesota North Stars 3, Montreal Canadiens 1, in what was one of the big upsets in the early part of the 1970-71 season. Last week, we told you about that Seals hockey team out in the Bay Area of California becoming the California Golden Seals as owner Charlie Finley renamed the team for the second time in a month. Well, they had an interesting game this week as well, chasing their first win of the season on that Wednesday night. Uh, Only 2,564 fans showed up at Oakland and that might have been part of the uh, players' lack of motivation. Uh, we don't know what it was, but the Seals blew a 2 nothing lead and had to settle for a 2-2 two two draw with the St. Louis Blues. Blowing a lead like that at home is bad enough, but uh, losing in that manner before a paltry crowd of less than 3,000 really, really is tough on the players. Uh, defenseman Carl Vadney said after the game that we tried to back up too much in the third period instead of going after him. Oakland was in front 2 nothing and sailing along in that third period when the winds of momentum just suddenly reversed. With St. Louis uh, down by two, veteran right winger Gary Sabrin scored after 12 minutes and 37 seconds of the final 20 minutes and 62 seconds later a rookie out of college hockey by the name of George Morrison who by the way is from Toronto uh, he scored to pull the Blues even at two and that's the way it ended the goal for George Morrison was his first NHL goal always a great memory for the kid and it was really especially satisfying for George who had been sidelined for most of the preseason because of an injury and uh, Sabern's goal, by the way, was his fourth. Gary's off to a good start for the Blues. Blues coach Al Arbor, a rook- rookie coach himself, new in uh, the coaching ranks this year after being the captain of the Blues. After the game, he said, I'm very happy to get a point out of it. We didn't do anything until there was just eight minutes left in the game. We were standing around all night. Now, if you know Al Arbor, Standing around all night is not something he will be very pleased about, and the Blues will probably get some schooling from Al at workouts this week. Until the Blues' late game surge, the Seals goalie Gary Smith appeared to be on his way to a shutout despite uh, some glitches he had in his game. Gary seemed to be able to make saves but had trouble uh, clearing the rebounds and it was only the Blues' lack of finish that actually kept them from tying the game a lot earlier. But it was actually the Seals' defense, their inability to get the puck out of their own zone, that finally cost them the game. Arbor said that Glenn Hall played well in the St. Louis goal. Arbor said he was sharp. He came up with the big saves, particularly in that first period when he kept us in there until we could get going. Al said, you're always happy to get a tie on the road, especially when you've been down a couple of goals like we were. Arbor told uh, 
the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that this is a long trip. We've managed two ties in two games, and we still have to go to Vancouver and Los Angeles. The Blues are hoping if they could get four points out of eight on this trip, it will have been a successful endeavor. Now, you have to wonder, with this terrible attendance, just how long Seals owner Charles O. Finley is going to put up with a team that finds it impossible so far this season to win a game. No, they hadn't won yet. But more of a concern to Charlie, of course, is going to be the attendance figure. Less than 3,000 fans at an NHL game is not going to pay the bills. And for Finley, that's always been the bottom line. The bottom line for him is all he worries about. We couldn't see the Seals staying in the Oakland area unless... The play and the crowds drastically improved. And at this point in time, there was no sign that either of those things was going to happen. On Thursday night at Boston Garden, one of the great early matchups of the season took place was the Bruins, the NHL's only undefeated team, came from behind, relying on third-period goals by Johnny Busick to gain a 3-3 tie with the powerful Chicago Blackhawks. Wayne Cashman and Wayne Carlton, a couple of Waynes, had Boston's other two goals. For the Blackhawks, Chico Mackey, Pitt Martin, and Jerry Pinder managed to bulge the twine for the visitors. Busick converted a rebound of a shot by Johnny McKenzie after Pinder had put the Hawks in front 3-2 early in the third period. The Bruins, who had won 14 games in a row dating back to the Stanley Cup playoffs of last spring, took a 2-1 lead on first period goals by Carlton and Cashman, but the Hawks came back with Pitt Martin scoring on a power play and then... The Hawks, who were humbled in four successive games in last uh, spring Stanley Cup Eastern Division Final, they threw up a close checking game and moved into a 2-2 tie when Mackey's second goal of the season came midway through the middle period. Hawks goalie Tony Esposito turned in a tremendous performance uh, in goal for the Hawks. He He's continuing right where he left off last season as the NHL's Rookie of the Year and top goaltender in the league. He held off the Bruins' high-powered offense, and the Bruins had averaged nearly six goals in winning the first four games of the season. That's six goals a night, and Tony pretty well shut them down, limiting them to three. Esposito in this game had 33 saves, seven more than the Boston goalkeeper Jerry Cheevers. Cheevers now has lost only once in 17 games dating back to last season. Uh, he worked on 29 Hawks shots, 16 of them coming in the second period when Mackey tied the score. Very good game in Boston Garden. The fans loved it. They would have liked to have seen the Bruins win. But uh, yeah, they gave credit to Tony Esposito. It was his work that let the Hawks gain a point on the road. A big point for them so far early in this season. Friday night, there were two games uh, 
that produced, even for such an early point in the season, a couple of shocking results. Both the Vancouver Canucks and Buffalo Sabres, uh, this season's two NHL expansion teams, found themselves tied for fourth place in the Eastern Division after the Blues and the Canucks battled to a 1-1 tie in Vancouver and the Sabres shocked the Red Wings by a 4-2 score and that Red Wing team has been dreadful under new coach Ned Harkness. The Sabres and Canucks both dumped in the National Hockey League's Eastern Division. Everybody's relegated them to 6th and 7th spot, but here they are, tied for 4th. That's the final playoff spot in the East. No one could have predicted that, especially this early in the season. Sabres general manager coach Punch Imlach had never met a newspaper reporter he didn't want to talk to, except in Vancouver, that's another story. Well, Punch is a firm believer, as everyone knows, in the power of positive thinking. He practices it, he's extolled all his positive thinking over the years, especially in his uh, years with the Maple Leafs. Before the season started, the loquacious leader of the Sabres was already celebrating a playoff spot for his first year team in the East Division. Now he rebuked all those who were snide enough to remark that Imlach was probably talking through one of his very uh, colorful celebrated hats and fedoras that he wears. In many, many uh, interviews leading up to the season, Imlach's uh, philosophy, Imlach's attitude was always the same. We'll be there to be counted in the end, and he'd say that to anybody who'd listen. Now, seven games doesn't make a season, but the Sabres, after Friday night, shared fourth place with the Canucks, as we mentioned. The Sabres edged the Red Wings 4-3 in that game in Detroit. The victory was their second one this season. They also have a tie, and the first ever against an Eastern Division club. And the winning goal was scored by a fellow named Ron Anderson when he whipped a 50-footer past Detroit goalkeeper, the rookie Jimmy Rutherford. The teams traded first period goals before the Red Wings actually moved into a commanding 3-1 lead in the second period. Uh, Detroit's veteran captain is Alex Del Vecchio. By the way, one of the good guys in hockey. He scored his 399th regular season goal. And it's a shame for Alex that it came on the road in Buffalo before a capacity crowd or nearly capacity of 10,006 Buffalo fans. We've seen higher numbers and would see higher numbers in the odd that season, but the capacity was actually listed at just below 10,000, so the place was packed. Ned Harkness, as we've told you, having a tough time as the new coach of the Red Wings. He locked the dressing room door after the game. He left uh, reporters with only one line. We played too many games like this one so far. Sid Abel, who's the Detroit general manager, was a little more outspoken than his coach. Sid said that was another bad one in a long list of bad ones for us. I figured if the Sabres tied us, they would beat us. And that is exactly what happened. We played seven bad games in a row. The star for the Sabres in this game was a former Red Wing, somebody the uh, Wings could probably use right now, veteran goalie Roger Crozier. 
Uh, Roger, the Dodger, made 31 saves, many of the spectacular variety in frustrating an already desperate Detroit club nearly every turn. Crozier is probably the main reason fans will even come and see the Sabres this season. I remember in that first year going to Buffalo games, and if for some reason Crozier wasn't between the pipes or Gilbert Perot happened to be out with an injury... It was like you didn't even want to watch the team. But those two guys brought the fans to their feet nightly. And on this evening, they gave the Sabres an important two points. Meanwhile, out in Vancouver, playing in front of 15,351 screaming Vancouverites, the Canucks snapped a scoreless deadlock on a goal by Wayne Mackey, his fourth of the season, at 6.20 of the second period. The lead stood until early in the final frame when veteran Jim Roberts scored for St. Louis after he was left uncovered in front of the Vancouver net. Vancouver goalie Charlie Hodge was kept completely outstanding in the game, particularly in the latter stages as the Blues pressed for the winner instead of their third straight tie, but they couldn't get one by Charlie, who showed flashes of the brilliance he showed early in his career when he was with Canadians. Both uh, Ernie Wakely of the Blues and Hodge were credited with 29 saves. I have a few notes from around the NHL this week as teams had made player moves to adjust their rosters, trying to squeeze every ounce of uh, effort they could. The Pittsburgh Penguins finally signed right winger Andy Bathgate to a National Hockey League contract. You'll remember Andy was with the Penguins in their first year uh, became a little disgruntled and ended up by uh, having some great success with the Western Hockey League Vancouver Canucks. But the Penguins always retained his National Hockey League rights, and after a pretty good training camp, Andy signed with the team. He'd actually been reluctant to uh, commit to Pittsburgh. He felt he might not get enough ice time with the team, and he also had worries that those uh, knees that he had a lot of trouble with, especially over the last few years, that they might not stand up to the rigors of National Hockey League play. But old friend Red Kelly, who's the general manager coach of the Penguins, sat down, he had a heart-to-heart talk with Andy, and he convinced him that Pittsburgh was the best place for him to play this National Hockey League season. So Andy agreed to a contract. Terms, of course, as usual, were not disclosed, but you can bet Andy won't uh, be any short of money, uh, at least in this season. A little news out of Boston with Derek Sanderson. We wouldn't have a podcast episode if we didn't have something to say about Derek, it seems. Well, Derek this year is going to be a TV host. He's going to host a weekly TV show on Boston Channel 38. It's going to be shown every Saturday for 26 weeks, 30 minutes, 6 o'clock, every Saturday. Boston fans have to tune in to see how Derek does as a TV host. The Philadelphia Flyers are being known as one of the more successful of the 1967 NHL expansion teams. This week, they announced a new ticket plan, and the reason they did this was to try and avoid fans being shut out on game nights. The team, for every game, will put aside 
2,000 tickets, and those tickets will not go on sale until 90 minutes before the opening face-offs. They will be available only at the Spectrum box office and cannot be reserved by phone, so that should encourage the walk-up crowds, and the Flyers are hoping ensure a few more sellouts this season. Many of us uh, from Southern Ontario will remember Tim Ryan. He was the sports director of CFTO-TV in Toronto, Channel 9. And he was also the play-by-play broadcaster for the Junior A doubleheaders that the channel used to show on uh, Sunday afternoons during the 1960s. Tim left Toronto to become the publicity director the first publicity director, actually, I think of the Oakland Seals. But more recently, he he left the Seals and he's worked for WPIX-TV in New York City. Well, Tim this week signed on to broadcast 20 New York Rangers games this season live for WOR-TV in New York, Uh, one of the WPIX's rivals, but the two outlets agreed that it would be a good idea and good exposure to have Tim do the play-by-play on the Rangers games and also on the booth with Tim for the Rangers this year will be Bill Mazur, who of course everyone remembers from those CBS Sunday afternoon games when he was the sidekick to the great Dan Kelly. Here's a note from the Ontario Minor Hockey Association having their uh, annual congress this week. The OMHA reports that there are nearly 84,000 boys active in organized hockey in the province of Ontario this season. Sports growing in Canada and as more rinks are being built, more kids are getting to play the game. You remember last week we told you about the Junior A Hamilton Red Wings firing their coach Doug McKay. This week, the owner of the team, Nick Durbano, named a fellow by the name of Pat Flannery, a former member of the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, to replace Doug McKay as coach. Pat's well-known in hockey circles in Ontario, previous coaching experience at the Junior B ranks in Etobicoke, North York, and Markham, and we're sure Pat Flannery will do a good job with the Hamilton Junior Red Wings. We mentioned in our game reports earlier about how things are bad at Oakland with the Seals. They're the Golden Seals now, but that Golden is color only. They're not making money, and they're not winning games. Now there are rumors surfacing a few days later that General Manager Frank Selke Jr. is uh, not long for the team. He will likely be shown the door by owner Charlie Finley within the next uh, few days to weeks. Uh, some papers were reporting, uh, back in Canada especially, that Selkie's demissal was, quote, imminent. Frank reacted to, to queries by writers uh, after the last Seals game that I haven't quit, I haven't been fired, I'm still here. Selkie even went on to say that he was in the process of negotiating a new contract with Finley, and that usually is a good sign that a GM is going to stay around. But in this case, you don't know, we'll have to see about that. And while there were rumors of the general manager being booted out the door, there were rumors that the coach, Fred Glover, would be taking on additional duties, and no, they weren't the additional duties of general manager. 
Freddie Glover would not discount rumors that he was considering suiting up to play for his California Golden Seals in addition to his bench duties. Glover told reporters that he's in better shape than most of the guys that he's coaching and if they don't shape up, someone's going to lose their job when he dresses in their place. Freddie Glover was a great hockey player and at 43, he's right around the same age as Gordie Howe. Maybe Freddie could duplicate Gordie's well, no, he's not as good as Gordy Howell. But when you see the Seals play, Freddie Glover's better than a lot of the guys he's coaching, that's for sure. And in perhaps the worst news of this for the Seals this week, and we go back to Frank Selke. Selke said after their last game that the Seals were, quote, a team without a heart. And I can't think of a, a more insulting assessment of a team by a general manager than that that shows that the man who put the team together badly uh, misread the character of the players he brought in Uh, Selkie said he's working on trades to bring players in who have both skill and leadership but they don't grow on trees and the rest of the National Hockey League teams aren't going to get players like that over to Oakland for any reasonable price Uh, One of their few good players, in fact, their only two real stars are goalie Gary Smith and defenseman Carl Vadney, and the players other teams are offering for them won't make the Seals any better of a hockey club. They're in a bad spot right now in Oakland. Sabres general manager coach Punch Imlach was making some moves this week. Uh, Punch purchased veteran forward Billy Sutherland from the Philadelphia Flyers and He didn't last long in Buffalo, though, because Punch then immediately shipped him to the St. Louis Blues in exchange for future considerations. Imlac choked with writers when he was asked, what's a future consideration? Uh, And that's several deals Punch has made in in that manner early in the, the Sabres' existence. He said he uses the term future considerations just to keep the writers on their toes and digging for what the news might really be. Sabres carrying a few extra players made a couple cuts this week as well when they sent a couple of young defensemen, Jean-Guy Lagasse and Paul Terbenchy, to the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles of the Western Hockey League. Lagasse, uh, a tough guy, rough around the edges. Western Hockey League will help him hone his skills. And Paul Terbenchy, we remembered well for his time with the uh, St. Catharines Blackhawks of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series. At the beginning of the week, the third overall draft pick in last June's amateur draft, Reggie Leach, that sharpshooting winger from Western Canada, he was still on the Boston Bruins roster. But coach Tom Johnson was saying that if he can't get Reggie enough ice time, he'll probably send him to the Oklahoma City Blazers of the Central Hockey League. Well, it only took about three days, but the news came down that Reggie was indeed being sent to the Central League to get more ice time for the Blazers. Uh, Reggie wasn't terribly disappointed. Uh, most junior players go go to the minors to start. Reggie's no exception, and he's going to be getting be 20 and 25 minutes a night playing in the Central League. George Armstrong, former captain of the Maple Leafs, told the team on Monday he wants to retire. But general manager Jim Gregory says he's not signing the Chiefs' retirement papers. That's all there is to it. He's going to try and talk him to coming back. 
George says he doesn't want to play, but the Leafs could use him. He might be back. By the way, Gregory took a few days off this week to travel to his and my hometown of Dunville, Ontario, where in the past week a huge fire took out an entire downtown block, and the Gregory family owned a couple of buildings and businesses that were lost in the blaze. Leafs coach Johnny McClellan this week uh, raised some eyebrows when he had his defensemen in scrimmages playing without sticks. But that really wasn't anything new. Even in when I was playing, I had a coach who would at times in our scrimmages have uh, one team or the other playing without sticks. <laughs> but it did bring up a story, a, a memory for me. I had one coach, and he was a very good coach uh, after he was a very good player. Uh, he did the same thing. He had us playing without sticks, but as a goalkeeper... He had me playing without my stick as well. I couldn't figure out the benefit of that, but I went along with it. And whenever a shot came in, I went but went down to my knees. And remember, this is uh, more than 50 years ago. Uh, it was in a butterfly style. I used my pads to make that stop. He stopped the practice. He came over to me and he said, every time you go leave your skates to make a save, you're going to have to do 50 push-ups. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't stop the puck just standing there. It seemed like it was a natural thing to do, but 50 years ago, goalkeepers were not supposed to fall down. Lots of goals, by the way, went in in that scrimmage. Red Wings had some talks with retired defenseman Carl Brewer this week in an effort to lure him back from his uh, retirement. Carl, however, has said he wants no part of the mess that Detroit is rapidly becoming. Speaking of the Red Wings, young right winger Tom Webster was telling everybody who'd listened this week about his newborn son, Brent. And Gary Unger, Webster's teammate, asked him what color the boy's hair was. Webster replied, the hair's black and he's got lots of it. Unger cracked, you better get it cut before Ned Harkness sees it. There was an interesting rumor circulating around the National Hockey League this week that entertainer Bob Hope was thinking of buying the financially troubled Pittsburgh Penguins franchise. Penguins president Jack Riley was uh, shooting down that story very quickly saying Hope is not at all involved in any group that wants to purchase the Penguins. But Bob had told friends earlier in the week when he was in St. Louis that he is interested in acquiring a National Hockey League team. We'll have to see how that turns out. The Buffalo Sabres, by the way, signed a young center this week out of Western Canada by the name of Randy Wyrosup. And Buffalo fans asked who? Well, Punch Imlac is now writing another syndicated uh, newspaper column. And here's what he had to say about Randy Wyrosup. And he started his column by saying, Randy who? Even Punch was unfamiliar with the name, it seems. Well, that, Punch says, is the response he would get whenever he started talking about his young player. But Punch said, if I'm not mistaken, Randy will soon be well known to hockey fans in both the United States and Canada. And in Punch's opinion, Randy Wyrosub has the makings of another Dave Keon. Keon, you know, was one of Punch's favorites with the Maple Leafs. And recently, 50 years later, voted the greatest Maple Leaf of all time. Imlac said that there were a lot of similarities as uh, he recalled Keon's first year with the Toronto Maple Leafs and how Randy had worked out at training camp with the Sabres. Everybody thought Keon would require at least a year with the Rochester Americans farm team in the American League uh, 
but a series of injuries forced the Leafs to keep Keon then during a two-game exhibition uh, set when they went to the West Coast in Los Angeles way back then. Davey scored a couple goals in each game. He was kept with the team, and of course, the rest is history. When Randy reported to the Sabres training camp in Peterborough, he wasn't even sure he wanted to play hockey. He wanted to play, but he also wanted to continue his schooling. Uh, and he was their first, fourth draft choice. And Punch felt he would require some minor league experience, but he got a break. Randy did when Phil Goyette was injured in training camp. He seized the opportunity and he looked right at home in the Sabres National Hockey League lineup. When uh, Skip Craig and Goyette were both out with injuries, Randy took a spot at center and his first exhibition game, just like Keon, he scored two goals, got the eye of Punch Imlac and Punch has decided to keep him with the team. Uh, Punch said there are other similarities between Keon and Keon and Y. Rosab. Both are are not big guys. They're of a very what Punch would describe as slight build. But Dave Keon, he said, was stronger than Randy is at this point in his career. They're both really good skaters. With uh, Keon being a little stronger in checking at the same point in his development, both had very very hard shots. But Randy Y. Rosab appears to have uh, a more accurate shot than Keon had. And for that reason, he felt Randy Wyrosa would be a better scorer in the NHL than Dave Keon. Punch went through a few of other of uh, Randy's uh, background things, how he had a father that uh, helped him uh, play hockey. He was a school teacher in Lacombe, Alberta. Dave, however, was from... Uh, northern ontario actually noranda quebec right on the border in northern ontario and quebec and uh he said that the youngster why rosa will benefit from playing hockey around a coach by the name of max bentley one of the all-time greats in the nhl with the leafs and the blackhawks punch ended his assessment and his interview his uh, article i should say with uh, about randy Rosa by saying i'm confident randy why will make a name for himself in the National Hockey League. Jack Lang is a former sports editor of the Buffalo Courier Express for many years, and he remembers the first professional hockey team to play in the city of Buffalo uh, in a special section of the Courier Express this week. He said the professional hockey made its debut in the Buffalo district on November 24th, 1928, and wasn't even actually in Buffalo, but across the border at the newly built Peace Bridge Arena in Fort Erie. The Bisons opponents on that memorable occasion was the Niagara Falls Cataracts in what was known as the, according to Jack, the Canadian Professional Hockey League. Uh, some of Buffalo's originals on that team were Coach Purse Lesseur, a former uh, Stanley Cup champion goalie. Uh, they had two good goalies, Bill Togger and Bob North, Bore Norfolk, actually he was called. And their three best defensemen were Gamey Letterman, Rusty Hughes, and Irving Frew, who would later go on to the National Hockey League. Other teams in the league and their coaches were the Detroit Olympics, who were coached by Frank Foyston. Uh, Toronto had a team called the Millionaires. Harry Hap Holmes was their coach. Uh, the Windsor Bulldogs were coached by Herbie Mitchell. The Hamilton Tigers had Bernie Morris as their coach. The Kitchener had a team called the Flying Dutchman. Hugh Lehman was the coach there. 
Uh, Bert Corbeau was coaching the London Panthers. Bert also uh, coached in Port Colborne for a time before that. I should say, actually, it was after that. And Newsy Lalonde was coaching the Niagara Falls Cataract. That was the first professional hockey team that played in Buffalo, but they played in the Fort Erie in the Peace Bridge Arena. However, the Peace Bridge Arena did not last long as the roof of that building collapsed on St. Patrick's morning of 1936 under the weight of an extremely heavy wet snowstorm uh, late in the winter. Plans were immediately drawn up to build a new rink in downtown Buffalo, which we become known as Memorial Auditorium, affectionately dubbed by Buffalo residents as The Odd. The Odd actually opened on October 14th, 1940, uh, that's when uh, it was dedicated. 3,000 people filled the main floor of the arena to give the newborn building a rousing welcome. It didn't take long to fill the house. In fact, standing room only uh, crowd was there the next day on October 15th when Republican presidential candidate Wendell Welke came in and 20,000 of his supporters followed him into the odd. From there on in, many sporting events were were hosted in the auditorium. Roller derby, believe it or not, was one of the big uh, favorites that drew the biggest crowds. A fellow by the name of Wes Aronson was uh, the local favorite, and they brought in uh, ten thousand followers just about every single game. In fact, in one night, four thousand people were turned away from the odd for a roller derby match. Wrestling got the honor of baptizing uh, the first sporting event that appeared in the odd on Friday, October 18th, when wrestling impresario, the late Jack Herman of the Great Lakes Athletic Club, brought in the grunts and groaners headed by a local favorite by the name of Ed Don George. And there were a lot of boxing greats as well that showed up at the odd during the boxing events that were held there over the years. Names such as Sugar Ray Robinson, Joe Lewis, Willie Pep, Rocky Graziano, Ezra Charles, all graced the ring at Memorial Auditorium and provided incredible memories for Buffalo hockey fans. The odd uh, now in 1970 is undergoing renovations. The roof is going to be raised a little more than 22 feet and increasing the capacity from 10,000 to 15,000 fans for hockey and basketball. The odd, of course, over the years would continue to be a wonderful venue, a great place to watch a hockey game. Uh, I got to play a, a few games in the odd over the years. It was a unique experience as a goalkeeper. I found it uh, a terribly warm place to play and, and it was a humid warmth that seemed seemed to stat, sap my strength only an hour into what would often be a three-hour game maybe it was just me maybe I wasn't in shape but it gave me a new appreciation for what great athletes National Hockey League goalkeepers are to play three games in that place my games were not in front of 15,000 screaming fans I don't know how in those warm spring games, guys like Bernie Perrant, Jerry Desjardins, Roger Crozier managed to stay as sharp as they did for as long as they did. One thing I found about playing at the odd, the lighting was outstanding and it seemed so much easier to see the shots, especially shots from well out. But then again, shots from well out weren't that far out. The odd was not a regulation 200 foot rink 
and those shots coming from the blue line were just a few feet from what they normally came in a regulation size ice surface. They did seem to get to me just a little more quickly and they seemed to get by me just a little more quickly as well. So that is this week's show, everyone. And what did we learn from this week in the National Hockey League's 1970-71 season? Well, we did have a great look at some early Buffalo hockey history and a bit of the beginnings of Memorial Auditorium and what's going on there in 1970. We had some news about the dysfunction around the Oakland Seals amid rumors of General Manager Frank Selke Jr. being dismissed. That hadn't happened yet. But the uh, Seals were rivaling the Red Wings for a dysfunctional family award this early part of the season. And we got to know a little bit about a player whom Sabres general manager uh, Punchimlack said has the makings of being another Davey Keon. But we don't think the name of Randy Y. Rosub was destined to be one that all hockey fans would readily recall. Next week, we have the following stories for you. There's more stories on the dissension and dysfunction um, that is the Detroit Red Wings this season as Gordie Howe was moved permanently back to the forward line and Ned Harkness didn't have a lot to say about it. A National Hockey League all-time great would get arrested this week. Well, sort of get arrested. Uh... He did end up pleading guilty to something. We'll have that story for you. And trade rumors were swirling in the early NHL season around several NHL teams. We'll tell you who might be moved and where they might be going. And of course, we'll have all the usual big game results and news and notes from around the hockey world. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough for everything he does. Andy is a true pro. Uh, he had a good career in the radio business and if you have a podcast you'd like to produce and you like the way our podcast is sounding get a hold of me I'll put you in touch with Andy and he can uh, talk to you about putting a podcast together for you our intro and exit music is from the rural Alberta Danny's the very popular Juno nominated indie rock group from Toronto other musical pieces and sound effects are by Andy Cole as well. And our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course those many fine publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us every day on Twitter at, at Hockey50Years with Hockey News of the Day. We have a Facebook page, hockey, which is 50 Years Ago in Hockey, and a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Of course, wherever you download podcasts, you can find us there and each week on YouTube. We thanks again to everyone who turns in, tunes into our show. We're having a great time bringing this to you. It keeps us going during these pandemic days. And when things uh, get normal, we plan on continuing on for a good deal more into the future. On that note, we will see you next week. When